Hello, today I want to introduce you to my lovely wife, Hilary, and she's going to share a, a tremendous message on extravagant worship. She shared this in church recently, and people were so blessed to know the kind of worship that God wants expressed in our life and how it's going to change our life. So let me just encourage you to stay tuned and really get ready for a, a great message. Thank you. Today I want to share with you um, about extravagant worship. And the text that I want to use is John chapter 12, verse 1 to 7. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in honor of Jesus. Martha served while Lazarus was amongst those reclining at table with him. Then Mary took a pound of expensive aromatic oil made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus. She then wiped his feet dry with her hair. Now the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfumed oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Um, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, uh, because he was in charge of the money and he used to take the money out of it. And Jesus replied, leave her alone. It was meant that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor amongst you, but you will not always have me. Mary will always be remembered for the extravagant worship that she gave to Jesus. We see from generation, sorry, from Genesis to Revelation, every time we're allowed a glimpse of heaven, we see the same thing, lavish, continual, extravagant worship. Um, I have a personal illustration because when my father received Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior, you know, just two weeks before he died, when he prayed, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. I had the most wonderful experience. I glimpsed heaven. I was sitting by my father's side, but at the same time, I was also in heaven. And I witnessed the most wonderful, extravagant, exuberant worship of our wonderful Lord and God. I would like to, de um, to define the word lavish, and it means something given or produced in abundance or excess. You know, it can also mean sumptuous, bountiful, profuse, generous, costly, magnificent. These words paint a picture. Um, sh it shows an aspect of worship which goes beyond what we consider to be the norm in the Christian life. You see, true worship should actually cost us something. Um, let me give you an illustration from the Bible. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24 tells us that David was offered free li livestock, free wood for the fire. And although he was king and he was entitled to all these gifts, he actually refused. Why did he refuse? He insisted on paying for them himself. The reason was he would not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, which had cost him absolutely nothing. You see, extravagant worship does come at a price. Are you prepared to pay the price? There is something so precious and costly about setting aside extended periods of time, 
you know, forfeiting those things that we would like to do that not inherently evil, um, uh, but just to focus on the Lord, uh, to fast in order to spend time just concentrating on the Lord, worshipping him, not asking for anything in return. So often you say, I've been good at seeking God's hand, what he can do for me. But so rarely do we actually seek his face. Um, to sit at his feet, to put our arms around our Heavenly Father's neck. Tell him how much we love him. God loves extravagant worship. We will never worship him in an attempt to earn his blessings or favor. I mean, how could we possibly earn what has already been freely given to us through the completed work of our Lord Jesus Christ? We cannot add to his work. Um, I'm speaking of offering our worship out of a heart of gratitude for all he has graciously given us in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, responding from our hearts in love for who he is to us. It's interesting, isn't it, that we will seek God at length, um, even fast, as I mentioned before, when we're in trouble, when we need an answer to perplexing and troublesome circumstances in our lives, when we want to seek direction and guidance. Um, but I would ask you this question. How often um, do we forfeit those things that we would like to do? How often do we fast for the sole purpose of ministering to the Lord? I want us to consider some believers who worship God extravagantly, and we can consider God's response to each one of them. Let's take King David. King David was a worshiper. His entire lifestyle um, was a lifestyle of worship. As we read the, the Psalms, um, we discover that David did not become a worshiper of God uh, after he was made king. He was actually a worshiper of God before he was ever king. You know, he was a worshiper of God when he was a nobody, when he was caring for his father's sheep. He was ill-esteemed by his fathers and his brothers. When Samuel came to anoint um, for uh, the, the, the new king, his father didn't even consider including David. Um, he was caring for his father's sheep, but at the same time he was worshipping God. And that worship became an anchor for his soul. This held David so close to the Lord in troublous times Let's consider those troubled times that David went through. He, he lived as a fugitive. He was continually on the run. He was hunted by Saul. He hid out in caves, and King Saul tried his very best to kill him. Now, after he became king, one of the very first things that David did was to bring the ark, which contained the presence of God, back to Jerusalem, because it had actually fallen into enemy hands during battle. David was so delighted to have God's presence coming back into the nation that he had an entire company of singers and musicians going ahead of the ark who sang continual praises to the Lord. Um, the reference for that is 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 16 to 28. You know, every six steps they stopped, they offered an ox and a fattened calf as sacrifices. Let's read that. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 13. And so it was when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, 
he, and that means the king, sacrificed an ox and a fatling. Let's just think, how long would it take to build an altar, kill the animal, prepare the animal for sacrifice, wait for it to be burned? You know, this entire process took place every six steps. Can you imagine how long that journey would take? But nobody thought it was a waste of time. God was worth all that time. Sadly today, so many of us Christians would think that was a bit extreme. But do you know, neither David nor God thought so. We need to note that David actually wasn't just an observer. The scriptures say, did not say that the priests prepared the sacrifices. It actually says David prepared the sacrifices. He did the dirty work. Verse 14 tells us also that David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. He'd taken off his beautiful kingly robes and he was now dressed in a simple linen ephod. Now Michael, his wife, was she looking out the, oh, there's my husband, isn't he wonderful? No, she was offended, she was embarrassed, she thought her husband was demeaning himself, um, he was just placing himself on a level as the common folk. But David, he worshipped God with his whole being, a complete lack of self-restraint. He set an example for his people and also for us. But his wife mocked him. What was the result of Michael's mocking? She was barren all the days of her life. What was the result of David's extravagant worship of God? It tell, God says, David is a man after my own heart. He was a wonderful king, a famous king. I want us to look at Paul and Silas now. Let's consider these very courageous men. They had been arrested unjustly. They had been beaten. They were covered in blood. They were fastened in chains. And then they were thrown into a dark, dirty, stinking jail. The jails that we have in England, in comparison, were like the, would be like the Ritz. Now, what did they do when they were thrown into this jail? Did Silas round on Paul and say, what a fine mess you've got me into, Paul. This time, it's all your fault. Did Paul say, Lord, I obeyed you. Why, why have you let me down? No, they didn't say any of this. The Bible tells us very clearly they sang praises to God at midnight. You know, the midnight hour. If you have a difficulty in your life, start praising God at your midnight hour. What was the result of that? The jail um, doors flew open, the chains fell off. But let me ask you a question. How many of us would respond just like Paul and Silas? Let me explain. If we do not worship God extravagantly in our private time with him, if it has not become our lifestyle, then in times of peril and terrible circumstances, I can assure you we will not respond like Paul and Silas. These men were not quiet about their worship. They were saying, oh, praise God, praise God. No, they were loud. How do we know they were loud? Acts chapter 16, verse 25. It says, at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise, and the prisoners were listening to them. 
all of us, unfortunately, will face times when our circumstances look bleak, when discourage and disappointment try to come upon us. Weariness and pain may well try to overcome us, and our faith could well be sorely tried. How are we going to respond? How will you respond? Will we still worship God with all our might? This is the true test of worship. It takes a lavish, extravagant worshipper to pour out upon the Lord from an aching heart, to pour out worship upon him and do it with a passion like Paul and Silas. And here's another, actually one of my favorite stories, Mary's extravagant worship of the Lord. Mary had this extravagantly expensive ointment in an alabaster vase. It represented her whole life savings. The Bible tells us it was equivalent to a whole year's salary. It probably represented her dowry for marriage. In those times, the dowry was exceedingly important. Without it, a young woman couldn't get married. She was pouring her whole future upon the Lord. Let's take a look at John chapter 12, verse 3. It tells us, Mary therefore took a pound of ointment of pure nard, very precious, and anointed the feet of Jesus. She wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the ointment. When we worship God, our surroundings will be filled with the fragrance of the Lord. Where you go, you will bring the presence of God if you are extravagant in your worship in your private times. Also, you know, this nard, um, it came from a, a plant, spike nard, which was grown in the Himalayas, and it had to come all the way to Palestine. It was excessively expensive. Let's take a look at the people in the room. Um, let's imagine, I mean, were they admiring her? Were they thinking, oh, wow, this woman knows how to worship? Actually, no, they were offended. They were upset. Oh, they were so embarrassed. It was a very awkward moment for them. And they must have been thinking, oh, really, Mary, she's just gone too far this time. She's just gone overboard. Now, in the light of um, Mary's culture, let's just consider actually what she did because her culture was very different to what it is in England right now. A woman's head was always kept covered in public. It was her glory. Because it was her glory, it was only to be viewed and enjoyed by her husband. A godly woman would never ever show her hair in public. And another big no-no is never, absolutely never, would she unbind her hair in public. This was just too much, even for Jesus' disciples. The entire scene before them was quite shocking. Her gift had been just too extravagant. Her actions were too intimate. Wiping his feet with her hair? Oh, indeed. They all waited for Jesus to reprimand her, to rebuke her. But Jesus was not embarrassed 
by Mary's outward public show of adoration. She went against what was thought to be proper. Um, she had, um, in their eyes, thrown away uh, an extravagant expense with this ointment. And her open display of affection and devotion, her actions of extreme humility, bowing right down. He didn't, in those days, didn't sit in a nice high chair at a table. They actually reclined on the floor. She would have had to have really bowed down to wipe his hair, wipe his feet with her hair. Um, there may even be um, an atmosphere of extreme awkwardness which she created in the room. Do you know none of this bothered Jesus? Not the least little bit. Why? Because he knew that from the depth of her loving heart, she was trying to show Jesus how much she loved him, how much she appreciated him. Jesus was deeply moved and honored by her expression of extravagant, lavish worship. Let me read you um, some of my husband's notes and harmony of the gospel accounts. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard in an alabaster flask. She anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, also pouring it on his head as he sat at table. And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii, a year's wages and given to the poor. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was put in the money box for himself. Let's see, Judas's attitude was the absolute opposite of Mary's attitude. He considered Jesus unworthy of worship. He expressed his critical attitude to the other disciples. He got under their radar, as it were, with his common sense disguise. Well, yes, this should, it would have done good for the poor. And they became indignant, and they began repeating Judas's words. And they said, why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of this, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? Because she has done a good work to me. For you have the poor with you always. Um, but me, you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it to prepare me for my burial. Because Mary was always at his feet, and we remember um, when Jesus first ate at the table um, in his, her sister Martha's house, um, she was actually sitting at Jesus' feet. And she heard his word. She was drinking in every word that Jesus said. Because of this, Mary understood far more than the disciples when she anointed um, Jesus. It was actually the opening of the 10th of Nisan. This is on Israel's calendar. It would have been about 6 p.m. in the evening, which is that's the time when the Passover lambs were set aside for their death, uh, which would happen on the 14th of Nisan. You see, Mary's actions signified the setting apart of the true Passover lamb. Uh, the true Passover lamb for his death and his anointing for burial. 
Jesus declared the importance of her action by saying, Assuredly, this is in Matthew 26, 13, Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Thus, her act was an intrinsic part of the gospel. It marked the setting aside for death and burial of our Lord Jesus. Moreover, God himself wanted her story always to be told as part of the gospel. Why? Because it demonstrates what should be the result of our salvation in Christ Jesus. The gospel of grace should always produce this kind of extravagant worship. If not, the heart really isn't fully open to the Lord. Let us think for a moment. Jesus proved his love for us. He poured himself out unto death. We should respond by showing and proving our love to him. How do we do this? By pouring out upon him lavishly, excessively, wastefully, not holding back, giving our all to him, just like Mary, we should pour out all we have upon Jesus in love and adoration. Onlookers may think, hmm, that's wasteful, all bit of a show-off. But he's worthy. We should only care what he thinks. Jesus held up Mary's extravagant worship as an example. Jesus didn't rebuke Mary for her wild behavior. He actually rebuked his disciples for their very lukewarm attitude. Jesus hates lukewarm. He says, you're neither hot nor cold and I will spew you out of my mouth. He wants us to be hot for him, not lukewarm. You know, thoughts may come to you just like the voice of Judas. Why this waste? You're wasting your time with all this worship. You need to get busy. There's lots of work to do for God. Now, like Mary, you need to ignore them. You need to press on to worship him as only he deserves. I want us, let's make a decision. Make a decision to stir up the passion in your heart. Determined to let go and completely give yourself over to God. Focus on his pleasure, not yours, not how you're feeling, on his pleasure alone. Think of that expensive ointment that was poured out upon him. Pour all your love and all your worship over him, wave after wave. Soak him in the sweet perfume of your adoration. I promise you, if you will do that in your private secret place with the Lord, you will reach a place in God you have never been before. Choose some words from the Psalms. Start off with those words of love and adoration and praise. And then you'll flow into your own words. May I suggest the following prayer? Do pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to tell you how much I love you. I couldn't stay away from your presence. I want to spend time with you today. 
I appreciate you more than I could ever find words to tell you. You are the center of my universe, Lord. You are everything I have ever desired. You are everything I have ever dreamed of. I come to lay down my whole life, all my life and all my love at your feet. I bless you, precious Heavenly Father. I worship you with all my heart. I adore you. You are my heart's desire. You are the love of my life.